0: Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I'm your host, Patricia Carpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. In today's episode, I interview Ashley Turner. Ashley is a meditation teacher on Meditation Studio app, a yoga teacher, and a marriage and family therapist. Today, she answers our love questions how does meditation help us in relationships? How can we be more loving and compassionate with ourselves? Why is it so hard to be vulnerable with others or to forgive and let go? She even gives us some tools for seeing our partner with fresh eyes. Whether you're looking for love, just met your mate, or in a long-term relationship, this is one podcast you will not want to miss. Before we hear from Ashley, this podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. If you want more sleep or just to feel less anxious about the news every day, Meditation Studio is here for you. Download us in the App Store or on Google Play. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. If you have questions or suggestions for us, email me at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. Here's Ashley. Ashley, it is so great to have you on Untangle today.
1: Thank you so much, Patricia. I'm so honored. So excited. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'm so like, especially this month because we're focused on love and relationships. And I know that you've both, you know, written and, you know, shared stories about love and relationships quite often. And so I have... 10 questions or so that I want to ask you so that you can share your expertise with us as we're celebrating this month.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's one of my yeah, favorite subjects. It is? <laughs> now, why is that? I just honestly, you know, as a psychotherapist and a yoga teacher and just everywhere in life, I honestly feel like it's one of the top, if not the top challenge that everyone faces, either being in a relationship, you know, magnetizing the kind of love and relationship and partner that they want, or, um, being in that relationship and then trying to keep it, you know, really thriving. And it's, it's a real challenge, you know, in yoga, we talk about the yoga of relationships is the hardest yoga. Yeah. And it's true. It kind of pushes all of our buttons. It does. It
0: it tends to be, uh, our relationships tend to be a mirror for, Yes. what we need to learn in life. And so that can be very difficult. Um, yes. So my first question to you is, how does meditation help us to be better, do better in relationship with others?
1: Well, I think number one, meditation helps us to drop into ourselves. So I would say that there are three different types of relationships. The first relationship is your own relationship to yourself and healing that, really working on self-love, working on unconditional acceptance, transparency, vulnerability, just owning all the different parts of who we are. The second type of relationship that I like to clarify is our relationship to spirit, our relationship to God, our relationship to the universe, universal energy, whatever you want to call it, how we connect and plug in to that thing that's greater than ourselves. And when we're really anchored in that version of reality, in that perspective, it gives us a whole different paradigm through which to approach everything in our lives, but especially um, our relationships with other people. So maintaining that connection, deepening that connection to spirit or life force is crucial. And then the third kind of relationship is our relationship to other people. All of our loved ones, all of our friends, anyone, but particularly our romantic partnerships. So you have, you know, sort of spirit, the macro level, then your relationship to self, and then your relationship to other. And we can't really master our relationship with other people until we've handled those first two realms. And so meditation for me is really working on those first two realms of really connecting me into spirit, connecting me into that larger wheel of life. So that my perspective is much greater also than identifying and and watching, observing my relationship with myself, healing that, rebalancing that, getting that my head and my heart right, and then going out and connecting with other people.
0: Yeah. You talk a lot about self-love and self-compassion in some Mm -hmm. of your writing. Can you, you know, I think it makes so much sense to really focus on yourself and sort of the bigger picture spirit or universe before we can even think about relating to other people. Mm-hmm. How, how do you advise you know, your clients and your students to be more loving with themselves, to be more self-compassionate? And, and why is that so important for us?
1: Well, you know, the first, the first sort of order of business in any relationship and really in anything in life is that if we don't learn how to fill that hole inside of us, Whatever version of I'm not good enough that you're walking around with, because we all have that voice in our head to some degree and that place in our heart that's yearning for connection. And if we don't learn how to really fill that ourselves and fuel that within, then we erroneously go out seeking that connection from other people and seeking other people or other things to fill that sense of validation and value. And that's where all of our addictions come from and our sort of misguided attempts at you know, at validation. And it leads to just really destructive and unconscious behaviors and relationships. So I think that self-compassion, self-love, and really, you know, my favorite quote on that is the Dalai Lama who says that if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. And if you want to be happy, Practice compassion. Yes. And it's so important. Just, you know, we're all human and we all make mistakes.
0: But I really like what you're saying about, you know, people go out into the world with a big giant hole inside of themselves and they look for other people to fill that. And it's so important to be able to fill that yourself so that you can have a whole relationship with someone else without expectations. That seems to be a really important thing that you're saying.
1: Yeah. And and then also obviously the more compassionate and loving we are with ourselves, the more compassionate and loving we can be with other people. And ultimately that's what we all want. We all want to be in a relationship where we feel seen, where we feel heard, where we feel accepted, where we feel loved and understood for just who we are. You know, it doesn't feel good when we're in a relationship with someone that's constantly trying to change us or critical. Right. And so we have to practice that ourselves.
0: Yeah. And why is it so hard? We hear this a lot from some of our listeners who kind of write in when we do um, podcasts on relationships. Why is it so hard for us to be vulnerable with other people? And why is that important for us?
1: That's such a great question. I, I really feel like this exact question and dialogue has really expanded just even in the last few years in mm-hmm. the vernacular, and the yeah. lexicon, that you know, with Brene Brown and all of her work on vulnerability and being brave and being courageous and sort of shadow work that's coming through. And I know certainly in the yoga world, there's a lot more talk about transparency and really owning your stuff. And and social media, I think, also is somewhat a play, kind of can go both ways. But I do see a lot of people that are actually, you know, being more transparent and honest about the challenges in life. And it's very liberating because mm-hmm. – you know, we all experience challenges. Life is challenging. Life is hard. There's disappointments in, you know, all myriad of ways. And so it's natural for us to brace ourselves and not instinctively be as vulnerable. I mean, I think that probably comes from even a biological fight or flight, you know, sort of protective mechanism. Um, Certainly a lot of our character styles and a lot of our behaviors and even our personality traits And emotional relational styles have been built up to protect us from emotional vulnerability. they are coping mechanisms or defense mechanisms that we learned as children to just get through maybe whatever circumstance we were born into. And so a lot of those coping mechanisms become unconscious, um, sort of molded into who we are. And so that resistance to you know letting someone in and really letting ourselves be truly vulnerable is natural, but it's also the key to our freedom and the key to our liberation. The more transparent we can do, and I say um, I use this term really owning, you know, owning our stuff, owning all aspects of who we are—the good, the beautiful, the magic, the challenges, the weaknesses, the fears. When we have nothing to prove and we have nothing to hide is when we're really in our power.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that makes for the most authentic relationships of all. And so what are some tools that you offer up to help people be more empathetic um, with themselves and other people?
1: Well, I think, you know, just softening, softening our attitudes, softening our assumptions towards ourselves, you know, first of all, and really being tender with ourselves and looking at ourselves as if we are that small child, um, whether maybe you have a child and you can use that as a great reference point. Certainly, you know, we all know children in that innocence and really allowing ourselves just to be human. And then with other people, absolutely practicing putting ourselves in their shoes. This is actually where meditation I think comes in. It's really helpful for myself is sitting in meditation and doing an entire meditation of really imagining where you connect into your unconscious and connect into the more imaginal realm and just using our imagination to visualize placing ourselves in another person's situation. And this is so challenging for us in our, particularly again, our romantic relationships, but to really be able to imagine and feel what are all the different aspects of what this person is experiencing? Where are they financially? Imagine where they came from. It's sort of like you're doing a character study. You know, I used to be an actress and if you were going to study a character, you would go and, you know, maybe write out their family story and write out their narrative. and figure out who is this person how did they get to be the way that they are and so we can do that with our partners or anyone in our lives and really imagine what are all the challenges that they face on a daily life what is it like to live in their body what are their fears what are their hopes what are their dreams really truly imagining the moment or the circumstance from their paradigm and from their perspective and usually if you do that really thoroughly a lot of aha moments you know will arise and some understanding. One of my great teachers, spiritual teachers would always say that the aim of this work is to move from judgment to understanding. Mm -hmm. And I love that formula of anytime we're in judgment, how can we shift into a deeper understanding, like really seeing it as a call to practice widening and deepening and opening ourselves to allow someone else just to be who they are and imagine where they're coming from. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I really like what you're saying about softening because
0: often we judge people and that judging comes from a place of expecting others to be a certain way versus being empathetic and sort of opening up that pool of understanding that you're mm-hmm. suggesting. So I I, mean, I think that's a really great, great way to put it. We all struggle with forgiving And that often gets in the way. It almost becomes the baggage that we bring from one relationship to another. You know, what is some advice that you give on how we can practice forgiving and letting go?
1: Well, again, it it really does come back to that relationship to self. And when we can really forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we've made and the challenges that we faced or the weaknesses that we have, again, this is just the human condition But the more we can forgive ourselves, the easier it is to forgive other people and really say, you know what? They're human. So the more that you can soften towards yourself, the easier it is to soften towards other people and they'll feel that. Of course, there's sometimes when we don't have the opportunity to speak to someone in person and... Um, forgive them or ask forgiveness. Maybe they've died or we're just estranged, not in contact with them. And that's okay. We can still do it on the energetic, emotional, and spiritual level. And it's really important that we do that work. and sometimes, you know, I would recommend maybe working with a therapist or a great teacher or a mentor that can help you to do that deep inner work of letting go because anytime we're holding on to resentments, it really is truly holding us in prison. and it's painful, it can actually create a lot of toxicity in our bodies and and certainly in our minds. And then that's when we start to become bitter. I think that really softening towards yourself, really practicing empathy, putting yourself in another's position. Um, the bottom line is, you know, especially if you're talking about a cycle of abuse or something pretty radical and um, no one ever acts out in that way unless they were hurt in that way and that deeply. So there's there's something underneath of that. And if you can start to touch into their vulnerability and their tenderness, um, hopefully that can compassion can arise and forgiveness. And that's the same in any relationship. And that's why it's so important to you know, I've really had to work over the years of not being defensive. And my boyfriend, my last boyfriend says, You're so defensive. And I realize like, wow, I really am kind of defensive and I get it's it's just my protective mechanism because I feel hurt. I feel vulnerable and I don't wanna feel like, you know, I screwed up and, um, but if we can take that feedback and really say, okay, let me own that. That's, that's shadow work is yeah. because people are reflecting to us what we actually cannot see. And it's as Carl Jung says, the thing about the unconscious is that it's unconscious. <laughs> you know? And so when someone is standing in front of us and saying, Hey, you know what? You're actually kind of critical or you're kind of selfish it's an opportunity for us to say, whoa, my gosh, I totally did not even see that. I don't even read that action as being that way. Thank you for showing me that. And so I can work
0: on that. Um, That's such a great response. Thank you. And I was going to ask you too about, you know, we talk a lot in Buddhism about a beginner's mind and you write about, you know, seeing your partner for the first time with fresh eyes as, you know, when you're in a longer term relationship and you sort of hanging on to the way your partner was. How do, you, how do you see someone with fresh eyes once you've been in a relationship for a
1: while? That's really important. And again, I, I think that that's one way that meditation can be so helpful because it keeps us clearing the slate and really letting go of our stories, letting go of our assumptions, I think it's one of the most important skills in relationship is to continue showing up and choosing your partner anew each day. And so that you don't take each other for granted. You know, it's so easy that we start slipping and taking each other for granted. And one way of doing that is like going to witness them when they're really in their element, you know, when they're maybe giving a presentation or whatever they do for work and really observing them and, and, the awe or the admiration that other people might feel for them and and really taking that in and letting that inspire you and letting that actually stoke the attraction also i think really looking at at the world and this goes for anything as a child the awe and the wonder and just you know truly the magic of just who is this person and how are they experiencing life and sort of melting back into Um, not naivete, but just a real openness in your awareness and really appreciating, you know, one nice practice to do is every night when you go to bed with your partner is to speak out loud three things that you really admire about that person or three things that they did, you know, sort of a gratitude practice, three things that they did that day that inspired you or that you appreciate so that you keep naming those things and let them be different every day, you know, and they can be really small things but in that way you're you're feeding their need to be seen, to be heard, to be appreciated, to be understood. We always have a choice, you know, glass half full or, gla- or glass half empty and it really is just the lens that we choose to view the world through. So, it's a way for you to strengthen that muscle of practice seeing your partner in this way, practice really seeing their magic and appreciating that and letting it land and letting it really affect you and cherish them. That was another question that I was going to
0: ask you, which I think you might've just answered, which is why is a gratitude practice so important in relationship? I love that idea of repeating or speaking aloud three things that you admire about your partner because it is reminding yourself and that other person that you appreciate who they are and what is really good about them. Because often when you're mad at someone, at least I do, you obsess on the thing that you don't like. (laughs) I'm sure nobody else does that. But you know, that sort of um, being able to shift that perspective, I think is so important in your love life and with other people too, to remember that they're more than that one thing that they may have just done or said.
1: You know, it's easy, I think, in relationships to sort of have black or white thinking, Mm -hmm. what we call in psychology of it's all or nothing. And so we can say, oh, he, and anytime you notice yourself using the words always or never, catch yourself. Those are key trigger words. Oh, that's <laughs> because, great advice. Yeah, no one is always acting a certain way or never doing this. My partner now would say, okay, I did that one thing, but do you really think that that means this whole other thing? You know, because we make meaning of it, we turn it into a whole story and a whole melodrama mm-hmm. around. Oh, you didn't say I love you, or you didn't kiss me right before you went out the door. Or you did. You're not that affectionate, or you know. We turn it into this whole melodrama based on our own wounds and based on our own triggers, and a lot of that is just pure perception and not even accurate, really. And so we we really have to own that's our part of it, and that's our you know work to change that story. And so look out for those words, always or never. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um... I think we're
0: all a little bit guilty of that sometimes. And I think what's interesting is, you know, we hear a lot in these interviews that it's so important to bring all of who you are to your work, to your personal life. And I think that's true, of course, in your relationship too. You're not only bringing one or two or three of your best or worst qualities, you're bringing all of who you are. And I think that's just an important thing to remember, that we're more than that one thing. Yeah, exactly. So what kinds of practices do you suggest for heartbreak or loss?
1: Well, a lot of, again, self-compassion and self-care, I think, is so important when we're going through heartbreak and or any kind of loss, for that matter. You know, it's so challenging on the nervous system, on our emotional body, our physical body. We really have to be so tender with ourselves. And so compassionate with ourselves and learn how to take really good care of ourselves in those moments, because again, you know, life is challenging. And part of that I think is knowing your own constitution and knowing sort of your emotional body and what you need. We all of course grieve in very, very different ways. And, you know, I know for myself, again, when I'm going through times of heartbreak or loss, I basically will eliminate all social activities and anything that's in my work. I'll eliminate anything that's non-essential and just give myself a lot of spaciousness. Go for long walks on the beach or be in nature. And we need that to restore our system and giving yourself permission. You know, I, I get on a real soapbox about grief because I think that in our culture, we really are not set up well. succeed with our grieving process and people may lose a loved one or even you know a long-term husband or wife and or even a child god forbid and and go back to work like within a week and that's just crazy to me you know it's it's a little it's a very deep wound now for some people going back to work might be very therapeutic and they can work through it in that way i you know it's again it's different for everyone but I think giving yourself the space and the time to do whatever you need to do and for it to be different every day, you know, and let yourself really listen, listen to your body and listen to your heart. Yeah. Well, those are such good
0: suggestions. And I think that, you know, when you started with, you really have to know yourself and knowing, know how you grieve. And I think, I think meditation really helps with that because it helps us sit with our stuff. And you know, I don't know that it's exactly welcoming the pain, but being able to sit with whatever is happening in your life. And then you you can take care of yourself in the ways that you're suggesting. Um, and I think those are really great, great suggestions.
1: You know, we learn how to be mindful and just be with, in a psychological term would be to attune, to simply attune to the emotion and say, oh, this would be, and that's that beginner's mind, you know, just to be curious and say, Isn't this interesting? You know, I just went through a phase of heartbreak, you know, a while ago and just saying, isn't this interesting? Okay, let me me get curious about this. Let me investigate. Where do I feel this in my body? Where do I feel sadness in my body? Where do I feel grief? Where does my mind, in the same neutrality in observing our minds, where does my mind want to go? Oh, I'll never be in a relationship or I'll never find someone that loves me like, you know, and, and bring yourself back to neutral and say, okay, just because I think a thought doesn't mean it's true you know, and coming back to neutral. And isn't that curious that that's where my mind, my head wants to go, you know, but, um, we don't have to stay there, you know, it's a choice. Um, so really creating that spaciousness and, and neutrality to just explore all the different levels. For those people that are searching for love,
0: um, what tools do you suggest? What sort of tools to ready yourself emotionally and spiritually even? to find love in your life or to open yourself up for
1: love? I love that question. I do want to just start by saying that I think that there's this tendency, I don't know if it's sort of the self-help community or, you know, spiritual community that we can tend to almost pathologize people that are not in relationships that, oh, there's, you know, is there something I'm doing wrong? Am I, is there a block that I have? To love. And I just want to open it up that I don't think there's any, you know, necessarily being in a relationship is better or worse than not being in one. And I say that because I've been, you know, single for significant periods in my adult life and never been married, although I really hope to get married and want to get married. So I just want to put that out there because I, I think that I've had that tendency of myself to look at and say, what am I doing wrong? What's unconsciously blocking me? And I'm not saying that there's not things, there's always things to work on, but I think it's okay to just be with that experience and not even need it to change, you know, because being in relationships brings a whole other, you know, it's sort of just a whole different set of circumstances and karmas. Yeah, exactly. Different complications that are equally as challenging, by the way, if not more, you know, I've had so many, my friends that are married say, listen, I actually wish I could be in your position sometimes. Right. Like this is not easy. I just want to say something because
0: I think you just raised an awesome point, which is, you know, searching for love can be really searching for self-love, which is where you started this whole discussion, which is that's really so important. And we can't really make an assumption that another person is going to make us happy. And so I think that's really what you were saying, we can't assume necessarily we're going to be happier in a relationship. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's such it's such a good point. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the second point that I would make in terms of opening to love is that I think that there's a tendency, and I'm just speaking from my own personal experience to say, oh, you know, sort of this knight in shining armor version of love that, oh, when I get the relationship or when I get the partner, then I'm going to experience joy, happiness, peace, contentment. Again, we know that that's often not the case and it's fleeting at best Mm -hmm. that it comes and goes in relationships because there are all kinds of issues that affect our feelings and relationships. But, but on that note, I think we can tend to have sort of a perfectionistic you know, looking for someone who's our perfect match, you know, we really have been fed this, this illusion, this story of this fairy tale of there's this perfect twin flame soulmate out there that's going to complete me. And it's, I mean, just as much as it's in Hollywood, it's in new age spiritual traditions of like, oh, this soulmate partner, you know, and the reality is nobody's perfect. And so then what happens is, We project this perfect image onto someone. We get in a relationship sooner or later, within usually the first, you know, nine months, that projection starts to erode. And then we start to see someone for who they really are. And we see all the challenges. And then we create a whole new layer of suffering for ourselves. Like, oh, they're not this or they're not that. So it really does begin and end with your relationship to self and being more compassionate, being more tolerant of another person more understanding you know it's not to say be a doormat and if none of your needs are being met stay in a relationship of course not but to be really open to allow someone else to be human too I just want to make this point because I think it's really important there's so many people that you know are dating online and the online dating which I think is great I know many people that have gotten married I've been in some very serious relationships from online dating myself it's amazing opportunity but what it does create this sort of commodity of dating where it's just swipe left or swipe right. And it's sort of this mentality that there's always something better out there. You know, it's this disposable mentality of, well, I can just, you know, trade this one in and, and up level, you know, and get the next guy or the next girl that, you know, yeah. is, has this quality or seems to have this quality or that quality that he or she doesn't have. And that's just an illusion. And how do we get around that? Well, I think, I think it's really being, you know, accepting people for who they are, knowing what your non-negotiables are. And if those non-negotiables are being met, you know, sticking it out. Thank you so much, Ashley. You have such great
0: wisdom. I just, I love talking to you. So grateful to be a part of it. We're so grateful. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks so much to Ashley for her great wisdom. How lucky are we? For more on Ashley Turner, check out her website and upcoming courses at ashleyturner.org. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at, patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio in the App Store or on Google Play. We'll see you next week.